This morning's scripture reading comes from Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through 17. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come upon me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. This is God's word. Good morning, Metro Press. How are we doing this morning? Good, good, good. There we go. There we go. My name is Brian Park. I'm, I have the highest honor this morning to share the word with you guys today. Um, our head pastor, Donnie Cho, and his lovely wife are actually way on vacation right now. Uh, please pray for them as they make their way back today. Um, I know the one thing for sure is uh, he loves Metro Prez. He loves his community. So I already know that as much as he's enjoying his vacation, he's probably like dying right now, the fact that he's not here. Um, so definitely lift him up in prayer. He's been such an encouragement to me and to many of you guys as well. And so we'll lift him up in prayer today as well. If you're new here, we, we want to welcome you. Uh, we are so glad that you're able to worship with us this morning. Uh, if you're new here, uh, after service, um, there's always light snacks uh, provided for a time of fellowship. So we would love to just kind of gather, connect, uh, share the vision of this church to you guys. So definitely stick around for that as well. And today, we're continuing on our series, The Idols of the Heart. Uh, week after week, we've been unpacking uh, this, this theme, uh, the, the weight of our idolatry in our society today. 
and how the power of the gospel offers hope and freedom in it. So we're going to continue with our series. I'm going to ask that as we get started, will y'all join me in prayer this morning? Uh, Lord God, we come before you uh, this morning. We honor you. We worship you. We love you. We praise you, Lord, that you allow us to gather here on this day of rest. Uh, Father, as we uh, pray and as we receive your word, Lord God, may we be receptive to what you have to say. God, I pray, Lord, that you will use me accordingly to your strength. Lord God, I am nothing without you, and I pray that you will use me accordingly to your plans, that I desire to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hands. So, Lord, use me. God, I pray that as we hear this word, Lord God, may your spirit speak. May you wake in our hearts as we talk about the idols of our hearts. We praise you. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. I recall the very first time I ever flew on a plane. No more than eight years old at the time, being filled with much excitement. I remember uh, being young, pretending to be the pilot, imagining I was in control, feeling invincible, feeling like nothing can stop me. But all of a sudden, during the flight, I recall over the walkie, over the microphone, I hear the pilot asking to put on my seatbelt. And I vividly remember uh, being asked to put the tray up to the uh, chair in front of me. And then I vividly recall my mom whispering in my ear to listen to what he has to say. And then what happens is the airplane I was once so confident in begins to rumble. It begins to shake a little bit. The airplane begins to tremble, and it's what we know as turbulence. All turbulence is, really, is just a slowing, moving air going to the airflow that you are currently on. And what it does, it causes the aircraft to shake suddenly and to shake erratically. Now, see, for us today, turbulence is nothing. We think nothing of it. But for an eight-year-old boy, has never been on a plane, was far, far worse. 37,000 feet in the air, unstoppable, feeling like a mini-god, and now all of a sudden the plane rumbles, and now it's making me wonder which second is going to be my last. See, in life, we too experience turbulence. In life, Turbulence comes in different airflows. See, today, turbulence in life looks like our fears. Turbulence in life looks like anxiety. Turbulence today feels like our anger. Turbulence today feels like depression. See, turbulence is the response when our idols fall short. What's an idol? An idol is the one thing in your life that you're enslaved to. 
Uh, if your blood, sweat, and tears invested into this God replacement. So as soon as it falls short, we then experience turbulence. See, in Scripture today, we also see the impact that our idols have, and there's no greater example than Jonah. See, uh, in Jonah, what we know, we often know him as the prophet that's swallowed by a great big fish. But when we look into the story of Jonah, there's actually far much more. We're going to learn three things about idolatry and how the gospel shapes us through the book of Jonah. Three points. The power of idolatry, the end of idolatry, and finally, the freedom from idolatry. First point, the power of idolatry. Let's break this down a little bit. So first, who was Jonah? Uh, Jonah was a prophet of God. He was a representative of God's people, and he spoke on behalf of God and behalf of the people. And what we also know about Jonah is that Jonah, he took a lot of pride in Israel, in fact, many scholars said that this was during a, a time where there was much social injustice. Uh, his co-laborers, Amos and Hosea, often rebuked Israel uh, for the surrounding social injustice. But Jonah never said anything. And it shows us this, is that Jonah was content. Jonah was uh, okay with the prosperity that Israel had, regardless of the poverty and the suffering that surrounded it. It's like looking uh, at revitalized center city Philadelphia today, and we see all of the beautiful monuments and restaurants, but we tend to neglect and avoid the brokenness when you go in the badlands and you see the poverty, the prostitution, the drugs, and the violence. So what's interesting, what we see is that Jonah, prophet of God, Took, proud, took pride in Israel. He loved his people, but was asked to do something else in verse 2. Read with me. Go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it. See, Nineveh uh, is interesting because Nineveh was considered to be Israel's worst enemy. Nineveh was contra to Israel. Uh, Nineveh was the bane of the ancient world. They were notoriously known to be an evil nation. So it's interesting the fact that uh, uh, Jonah, someone that loved Israel, someone that loved God's people, was commanded to not preach to Israel, but he was called to preach to Nineveh. See, what we know is that Jonah hated Nineveh. He despised the, knowing the fact that this city uh, was so great but so wicked. Jonah didn't want Nineveh to have a second chance to repent. So how does Jonah respond? Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. What do we see? That Jonah disobeys his call. So it's clear, the power, the power of idolatry is that it controls us. The power of idolatry is that it is controlling. See, for Jonah, uh, his idolatry uh, was in a few things. So we see that Jonah, his idolatry was his nationalism. 
For Jonah, we see that his uh, idolatry was his racial pride. For Jonah, his, his uh, idolatry was his call to ministry. And as soon as these idols come into question, his turbulence is revealed. His control, his anger, his self-righteousness. And it tells us that idols to control our lives and make us experience turbulence when they fail. See, you and I, uh, we're always fixated on something. And as soon as that fixation begins to fail, you either do two things. You either look for something better or you go deeper into it. For Jonah, what do we see? He falls deeper. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. The deeper you fall into idolatry, the more consumed you become. And what is scary about that is that you don't even realize when it actually does. Let me explain. In the movie Lord of the Rings, we see the ring as an icon of absolute power. The story journeys through Schmeagel and his obsession with the ring. What do we see throughout the story is we see this desire for the ring. And as he constantly just desires for the ring, he wants more of it. And as he wants more of it, what happens? He becomes corrupted. He becomes emotionally invested. He becomes physically in tune. Did anything and everything just to obtain the power of the ring to the point where he is no longer recognizable. He is no longer Schmeagel, but he eventually is Gollum. See, Gollum is the character uh, that becomes in his obsessive idolatry for the ring. He deteriorates as the ring becomes his identity. And what do we see in Gollum? Because of his idolatry, his obsession for power, for status, for the ring, he's isolated He's violent, he's defensive, manipulative, alone. In the same way, church, the things that you often think are defining your image, the things that you think are actually showcasing your glory, is actually probably the one thing that's making you more broken, empty, and hopeless. It's all turbulence. This is Jonah. And if we're honest, this is probably us. It may not be a ring, but it may be a relationship. It may not be a ring, but it may be your beauty. It may not be a ring, but it may be your financial success. It may not be a ring, but it may be your desire for control. Question, church, how are your idols controlling you? How are they enslaving you? But know that if this is you today, and I know it is me, know that the Bible offers great hope. 
It leads us to the second point, the end of idolatry. The end of idolatry begins with the knowing of God's compassion. That God pursues us despite our pursuit for others. See, the primary theme in the book of Jonah is actually God's compassion. Uh, We see that Jonah, uh, he's the benefactor of God's compassion uh, throughout the book. But not only is God compassionate to Jonah, but we actually see that he's compassionate to the sailors in the boat, and he's uh, um, compassionate to the Ninevites. Uh, They're all benefactors, right? Um, But what's interesting that in each case of compassion, the sailors... Uh, uh, Nineveh and Jonah, it's interesting that in each case of compassion, it starts with brokenness. Uh, Verse 3, it will tell us that Tarshish was a great city that's broken, and God is now giving them a chance to repent. Verse 15 tells us that the sailors, they went from casting lots to other gods, but now they're fearing the triune God Yahweh. Verse 17 tells us that Jonah gets a second chance from death to life because of great big fish. In other words, to experience the compassion of God, it must always come in a disposition of brokenness. To be broken about your idols, to be honest about the heart. Church, If we want to understand the compassion of God, we must come into a disposition of humility, brokenness, and suffering. Let me explain. In the early 2000s, there was a show called uh, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. And every episode, uh, it showcases this family that's uh, in need of a new home. Um, every episode, it was about a family. He had like uh, um, uh, Bob and Mary, and he, had, and he had like 35 kids, and he, he got like, he don't even have a room. He has like one like living room and, and a shack, and you know, this is crazy. Every week, it was something ridiculous like that. Um, but <laughs> the story always explains that there's a family in need of a new house because their old, ho- old home was broken. It wasn't enough. Right? So they're going through the story of brokenness and suffering and the need. So what happens in uh, Extreme Makeover is a crazy host comes out and says, he comes out with like hundreds of people, and he says, hey, we're going to get you a brand new home. Right? So they go through the process. What does the process look like? Right? Hundreds and hundreds of people, they start breaking down the house. They start breaking the things that are inside the house. Sometimes they would just explode the house, right? It's just breaking, they're breaking and breaking, and they're blowing it up. Everything from the old to become new. Everything that is inside is destroyed for the sake of something brand new. In the same way, if you want your life to be transformed by the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ, you have to understand that God, the almighty God, is going to get a sledgehammer. And what he's going to do with that sledgehammer is he's going to bust up some things in your life. 
He's going, if you want to go from death to life, if you want to go from hopelessness to hope, he's going to do anything and everything inside your life that's not important, that's old, that's outdated, that's not functioning, that's wasting space to help you have new space in your heart, mind, and soul to know the very compassion of God. And it's the very compassion of God that often makes it look like reckoning. It's the very compassion of God that renews. It's the compassion of God that makes him jealous for us. How does God display this compassion for us today? Well, centuries later, after the story of Jonah, we're introduced to someone far greater than Jonah. Matthew 12, verse 41 says, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The here is the true Jonah. The here is Jesus Christ. See, Jonah was thrown overboard and the raging sea grew calm. Jesus Christ was thrown on the cross to calm a storm far worse. In Jonah, we're talking about a wooden boat filled with water. But for us today, we're talking about a wooden cross stained by blood. Let this compassion overwhelm you. If you begin to understand the compassionate love of Christ for your sins, trust me, you will no longer want to be enslaved by anything else. Through Christ and through the power of the gospel, you can be honest about your idolatries. See, what turbulence does, right, when we're in the heat of all of it, right, we tend to hide, right? When we're in fear, when we're in anxiety, when we're uh, in anger, right? When we're consumed by all of these feelings, what's the natural inclination, right? We want to hide. We want to run away from it. But what the gospel says that because of the true Jonah, you and I, we have access. That Christ actually loves your turbulence, And as much as we hate it, Christ loves our turbulence. Why? Because for Christ, it's only another opportunity for him to remind you of who he truly is. When we experience the person and work of Christ, God's compassion, we then begin to erode a freedom that leads us to the third and final point. The freedom from idolatry begins with submission. Not to the power of your idols, but to the power of the gospel. See, when you look at the gospel, when we look at scripture, uh, scripture is never about self-sufficient strength. Nowhere in the Bible says, brother, you can do it on your own. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. See, in scripture, it's all about strength, and I'm not doubting that, but it's about Christ's strength strength when we are in weakness, meaning it's all about submission. The Bible doesn't talk about a 10-step way to conquer your idols. It talks about submission. 
Look at verse 15 as proof. Then they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. It's all about submission. Because Jonah submitted of his idolatry for the moment, later in Jonah, he starts acting up again, but that's another uh, message. But in the moment when Jonah submits his idolatrous ways, what does it show? It shows that there's now life. There's life not for just the sailors, but now there is life for Jonah himself. It's all about submission. Church, you want to fight your idols. You want to be honest about your idols, right? You don't try to do a 10-step way to defeat them, but rather simply just submit your idols to the power of the gospel. But submission is never easy, right? I mean, if you think about it, submission is probably the hardest thing to do especially in a go-getter type society. But it's hard. It's difficult. In fact, it's probably going to be the hardest thing you're going to do as a believer. Even Christ wrestled with submission. Luke 22 verse 42 says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Christ submitted perfectly, but nonetheless, he shares how difficult it was. See, when we, because when we submit, what we're really saying is that I'm going to begin to trust you, even though the trust process is brutally painful. Let me explain what I mean. You know, guys, I have dealt with much turbulence because of my idolatry. My idolatry of success, image, and relationships. Because of those idolatries, not only did it break myself, but broke the relationships that surrounded me. I became more controlling because of my idols. I became more manipulative because of my idols. My idols made me anxious to the point of panic. My idols made me angry to the point of bitterness. My, my idols uh, made me hopeless to the point of numbness. And what's so sad was that it broke me and it broke everyone that surrounded me. But in the season of my life, what God did was that God would bring me into an octagon. And he had me wrestle with him. And what God did in this octagon is that he made me come into submission, saying into my ears, I got this. Will you trust me? Will you believe in my word? Will you see my son on the cross and show that I've already done everything for you? All you have to do is submit to me because I've already done it for you. And for me today, I can say that I praise God for that. 
I praise God because uh, in the submission, as difficult and as hard as it was, I knew that he was doing something in me. He was refining me, not by my own sweat, but by the blood of Christ. If you want freedom today from your idolatries, church, you got to know you got to go in the octagon with God himself. And it might be a little bit of wrestling, but know that as soon as he gets you locked down, he's going to whisper in your ears, I've already won. So why are you trying so hard? Submission is a declaration of trust. As Christ says to God, into your hands I commit my spirit. We too in the same way can boldly approach his throne. I'll close with this. The setting in the book of Jonah is actually a storm. What we see in the book of Mark is a storm storm very similar. Mark chapter 4, verse 37 39, it specifically tells us about turbulence. And the turbulence is not the sailors, the pagan sailors, but now um, the, the turbulence is dealing with the disciples. And there was fear and anxiety and uncertainty while Christ is sleeping. What, does ha- what happens in Mark 4? Jesus wakes up, he's calm. And he controls the storm. But see, on the cross, Jesus Christ faces the ultimate storm. And because Christ faces the ultimate storm, you and I can now have peace. The cross of Christ is the ultimate reversal for your turbulence today. Christ gave up his peace, his rest with the Father for your turbulence today. That the wrath of God falls on him so that the compassion of God can truly rest in us. Jesus Christ experienced the ultimate turbulence so you and I in the daily grind of life can have peace. That in Christ, in him, we can say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Will you guys join me in prayer?